This podcast is generously supported by the Jesus Bible NIV edition. With exclusive articles from Louis Giglio, John Piper, and Randy Alcorn, the Jesus Bible lifts Jesus up as the lead story of the Bible. It is available as a full study Bible, as well as available as individual Bible journals. Find out more at www.thejesusbible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Gideon's a guy that a number of us might have heard about. Uh, we've got the Gideons uh, that work, that does a great work in getting Bibles out. So, but who is this guy? And is Gideon, was he always regarded as a great man of faith? He is referred to that in Hebrews chapter 11. And yet I think here, especially at the start of chapter 6, it looks like Gideon has some doubts some fears. The text seems to be highlighting that. I know, although we shouldn't be too hard on him, because whenever we think about it, do you ever have doubts or fears? Have you ever doubted God's promises? Do you ever doubt that there could be, is there really eternal life? Is there really Heaven, for those who trust and believe in Jesus. Anybody ever have doubts in God's promises? Or do you ever doubt, does God care? Look at what all that we're going through. Look at all that's going on in my life, the difficulties, the suffering, the pain. And we might ask ourselves, well, where is God? Have you abandoned me because my prayers aren't being answered? Anybody ever have those sorts of questions or doubts or fears? I know I've had, and I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, you will. Or you might even question, is living for Jesus worth it? We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors, ourselves, and people aren't responding nice to us. So is it worth loving others the way God wants me? His demands seem too high. Maybe a question and doubt, is that worth it? Well, if you've got doubts or fears, you're in good company. I think you're in the company of Gideon. Now, it can be tricky to figure out from Old Testament narrative, what are we to, to, to learn from? Do we just do this? Is this an example or not set up to follow? It's not as clear as that, and you have to work hard at the text to see, is this something that we learn from, or is this something that actually we shouldn't be doing? Because there might be more about that in this passage. And Gideon had doubts and struggles. And you can understand why he had doubts and struggles. Because look at the circumstances he was living in. Do you remember the cycle of judges? Hopefully by now we're getting that. And the cycle begins in the same way, verse 1. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And that's a standard cycle. That's what we hear. Only different 
this time, we get more of a description what it was like to live under the hand of the Midianites. We get more details. Look at verse 2. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So the Israelites had to flee to the caves. It had been so hard. Because what happened, verse 3, when Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites would come in and invade. And verse 4, they would ruin all the crops and they didn't spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor donkeys. They came like swarms of locusts, it says. And it was impossible to count the men and the camels. They invaded the land of ravages. So this would have been a terror that happened every year. They would work the land, grow crops, and then every year the Midianites would come in, swarm in, and just ravage it all, take it all, destroy all their crops like a swarm, and take all that they have. So the Israelites are hungry. They're tired. Every year these other guys are coming like buzzards, coming in and taking all that they've worked for, and they even have to rush off to the caves to hide so they can live. And be protected. This is a life of misery. That's why it says in verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Again, that's the repeated cycle. But we've got, you know, they've oppressed and they cry out to the Lord. And the normal procedure, what happens? God raises up a deliverer. Is that what happens though this time in the text? When the Israelites, verse 7, cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a deliverer. Is that what it says? No. A prophet. Hold on, this, this is different from the normal cycle of judges. They cry out for help, God raises up a deliverer. That's what he says normally happens. What's the point of this? I mean, this is imagine that you've broken down in your car, you, you call the AA, and they send out a school teacher to you. He's not an engineering teacher, so no offense to any teachers here, but they, this teacher has no idea how to fix your car. What, why this God sends a prophet? Instead of sending a deliverer at this stage, he sends a prophet. Instead of sending a conquering rescuer, he, God gives him a sermon. What does the sermon say? He sent them a prophet who said, verse 8, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Basically, the sermon reminded them of God's grace. God had rescued them by grace. And then the sermon says, and this is what you're to do. Don't worship other gods. And the conclusion of the prophet's sermon is, but you have not listened to me. And I think that's a key verse in this narrative. And Gideon was one of the Israelites and his family who did not listen to the Lord. So what happened? Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Jewish Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites in secret. By the way, this is gracious. They don't listen to the Lord, and God sends the angel of the Lord. Who is this guy? 
Well, just so we know, he's addressed sometimes as the angel of the Lord and other times as the Lord. So this is a divine figure. But how can that be? If he sent an angel, a messenger of the Lord, and yet he's also a divine figure, well, we don't know for sure. But perhaps this is one of the persons of the Trinity manifesting himself as the angel of the Lord. We don't know for sure, but the text tells us that the Lord speaks and the angel of the Lord and appears to get in. And then in verse 12, what does this angel of the Lord do? say? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? When they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So what's Gideon thinking? He's looking at the circumstances that he is in, and it's devastating as we see. And he's questioning, where are you, God? You've abandoned us. He's even asking, why has all this happened to us? And we've already heard the sermon from the prophets. We know why this has happened to them. Because they didn't listen to the Lord. They abandoned the Lord. It wasn't God abandoning them. They had turned away from the Lord. And Gideon has completely misunderstood what's going on. He's got the wrong perspective. And that's why Israel and Gideon needed to hear the truth. They needed the prophet's word to correct their misunderstanding. He needed a sermon. They didn't realize it was their own doing that they didn't listen and obey God. That they are where they're at. If he had properly listened to the prophet even, Gideon would have realized, oh yeah, you haven't abandoned us. Why is this happening? We have failed you. We have been disobedient. By the way, here is a clear principle that we can learn. We need to understand God's truth. It's the first thing we see. We need to understand God's truth. We need to hear from God and get his perspective on what's going on. Get in a lost perspective. You may be in dire circumstances. You may be going through a rough time where you may want rescued, and that's understandable from whatever misery you are going through. And you may be crying out for deliverance. And we long for circumstances to change. But God may be instead of immediately giving, into our, giving us our request for deliverance, God might want to teach us something through it. He mightn't send the deliverer immediately, but he wants to send his word so that we understand the truth of what is actually going on. Sometimes we need to understand his word, his truth, his understanding to shed things on our lives more than God wants to rescue us from it. God wants to show us something through the difficulties, maybe in ourselves that we're not even aware of. And God's word has to come to convict and show maybe we have not listened to him 
as we are. We cry out to God to change whatever circumstances we're in, and that's normal. That's right. I do that. And yet God might want to show us something, teach us through his word, and it's gracious of God to communicate his truth and to correct our misunderstanding. And that can happen on Sundays. That can happen at Bible studies, as you read the word yourself, in your connect groups. As we are exposed to God's word, we get God's perspective that might be different than what we think is going on. And God might want to be revealing some of the idols, some of our sin that we're not even obvious about. But Gideon hadn't properly understood God's perspective or God's word. And he was actually quick to blame God for it, wasn't he? God, why have you done all this? And it's easy for us to do the same. We see the trouble. And instead of asking God, what is it that you're trying to teach me and and work in me? and, And what promises am I to hold on to through these difficult times? We get fixated in the problems, and that's natural. We want illnesses to leave. We want relationships to be better. We want our boss and work to be removed. We want change in all these circumstances, and we should be thinking through these difficult circumstances, what is God wanting to teach me through it? Because God doesn't promise to remove all our troubles. But for those who belong to him, he promises to be with us through them. And Gideon hadn't properly grasped that. This podcast is generously sponsored by the Pillar Network. The Pillar Network is a community of SBC and International Baptist churches that are doctrinally aligned, missionally driven, and committed to equipping, planting, and revitalizing churches together. If you're a pastor of an established church and you're desiring to lead your congregation to plant churches, but you're not sure how to get started, Pillar could be a great resource for you. Reach out to them today at thepillarnetwork.com. Thepillarnetwork.com. So the Lord graciously comes to the Israelites and get in because they needed to understand his truth. And what happens next? Well, verse 14, we see the Lord turn to Gideon and say, Go on the strength and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I'll be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Quite a promise. The Lord said, I'm going to save Israel through you. Gideon goes, No, I'm weak. God says, I'll be with you. I'll tell you again. But Gideon still has doubts. So what happens? Verse 17, he goes, if I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. Is it really you, the Lord, talking to me? So Gideon asks for a sign, and, and he goes and gets an offering. He prepares a goat and gets bread and soup, and he brings it to the Lord. And we read what happens in verse 20. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat, the bread, place them on this rock, pour out the broth, and Gideon did so. And with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and unleavened bread, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord! I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. 
God graciously gave him a sign that this was him. The Lord had turned up. And Gideon was scared when he realized this fact. Why? Because he knew that actually could mean death. To be in the presence of the Lord as a sinful person should mean death. But look at verse 23. The Lord said to him, peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. That's gracious. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. By the way, our view of God is sometimes very different than the Bible's view of God. And different from the people who encounter the true God in the Bible. Gideon thought in his presence he would die. But the Lord granted peace. And because of that, Gideon built an altar and he worshipped the Lord. Because Gideon knew God is holy and in a sinful person in the presence of the Lord deserves to die. And he had a proper view of God. And sometimes we don't have that view of God. We might think there's no need to be afraid of God. He would never do anything like that. And yet we need to realize God is a just God who punishes justly sinful people and that we are only safe in Christ Jesus. We are only at peace with God ourselves if we have trusted in Jesus alone for our salvation. If we believe that he has paid the price for our sins on the cross, if we trust him, we are forgiven, we are free, we are at peace. The Lord is at peace with us. But if we haven't, we deserve to die punishment. I hope you have that peace with God. So you do not need to fear being in the presence of the Lord. But after Gideon encounters the Lord and obtains his peace, he builds an altar, worships him. But then the next part of the narrative is clear that God wants to deal with idolatry in him and his family. What happens? Verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's head, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal. And cut down Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. After encountering God, after in one sense receiving God's grace and being at peace, why God wants them to obey him. Notice the pattern is the same that we had in the Old Testament. God rescued the Israelites and then he said, oh, and by the way, you shall have no other gods before me, but I've rescued you first. Here he is in one sense, showing grace to Gideon. And now he's saying, if you're worshiping me, get rid of these other altars. Get rid of these other idols. And what does Gideon do? Verse 27, he took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than daytime. He obeyed. So that's good. He might have been a bit afraid. That's all right. God didn't tell him to do it in the daytime. He obeyed. This is Gideon 
good. He's encountered God and he wants to obey him. And what was the outcome? Well, in verse 28 onwards, we see that Baal was demolished. They found out it was Gideon who did it, the people in the town, and they go to Gideon's dad. And Gideon's dad defends him and basically says, if Baal is God, he'll be able to sort himself out. Good answer. He stands up for his son Gideon. But that text unfolds. First of all, I want to ask, why do you think the Lord demanded Gideon to go and do that? He can't have two altars side by side. He had built an altar to the Lord in verse 24, but you've still got an altar to Baal in his family household. Verse 25, they were still worshiping Baal. And God said, this is not acceptable. God must be worshipped alone. This is what the Lord demands. And out of righteous passion, he said, get rid of those other idols. Tear them down, in fact. What we learn from this is we need to obey God's demands. If we've received God's grace, we need to obey God's demands. Get it in. If he has experienced the peace of God, cannot still be in any way involved in idol worship. God must be his one true God. If you're a Christian, if you've received God's grace, if you're at peace with him, God wants you to be radical regarding other idols and to tear those down. If there are things that are interfering with our relationship with God that are pulling us away, God wants us to act. And yet we're often blind to it. Is there something that is getting in way of our wholehearted devotion to God? Right, still holding an idol of money, career, relationships. I mean, it's Valentine's Day today. The idol of love is still a prevalent idol. Romantic love, that has always been one of the huge problems of the human heart. You know, I must have this love. Now, it's okay to want to be married. It's okay to perhaps want your spouse to be more godly. But how are we living for that idol? Perhaps we've bought into the idea, if you're single, oh, there is this one person out there, my soulmate, who if I can just find that one person, then I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. All my problems will be over. And when people, and many people do, you know, you know, when I was single, I wanted, and it would have been too important at times. But when people live for this idol, it leads to disaster. It often leads to them hooking up with partners that they should never have hooked up with. Because this was too strong a desire. It means they'll commit too early into relationships, don't set good boundaries, throw themselves in. Because uh, they think, i got to make this relationship work because having a relationship is the most important thing to me. And they end up maybe giving their bodies to someone they shouldn't because they're so scared to let this go. As for those who are married, the idol of love. For those, or for those who are unmarried. But it's the same for those who are married. 
They're so longing and wishing for our partner to be everything they want them to be and are totally putting up huge expectations that there's no way this person will ever meet it. And often the people who are so longing for a romantic love and getting married too much whenever they do get married, I can 100% predict they're not going to be satisfied in marriage. See it all the time. Because this is an idol of love. And married people have far too high of expectations for their spouse. They want them to meet all their needs. And of course they're going to fail. Because there is no human can take the place of God alone. Who is the only one who is to be worshipped. And the married person might start to then, whenever they're dissatisfied with their spouse, might even start to let their eyes wander around and think, you know, wouldn't it be so much better to be married to somebody like that? They're so much more caring, sensitive, good-looking. And before you realize it, you're committing spiritual adultery and you can be on a dangerous slope. We need to tear down the idol of romantic love and have our affections on God alone. If you sense the Spirit of God nudging you, is there something that is more important or someone? God wants us to be radical, to tear it down. He's saying there's no such thing as a half-hearted Christian who lives for one idol and tries to live for God at the same time. God must be worshipped alone. People want the benefits of Christianity. They want a home in heaven. They want, oh, to somehow experience his presence, but they don't want Jesus to be number one. If Jesus is to be your Savior, he must be your Lord also. You cannot serve two masters. We need to obey God's demands and radically tear down whatever it is that is pulling us away. So we need to understand God's truth. We need to obey his commands, demands. And with this final scene, what's it all about? We see the invasion of the Midianites, verse 33 onwards. Here they pile in again, like we've seen, swarming in. The Midianites, the Malachites, they join forces, cross over to Jordan, and they come. And then we see the Spirit of the Lord come upon Gideon. Here's back to the usual cycle of judges. All seems good. Then we have this fleece episode. Verse 36, is what Gideon did right here? He asked God, what does he do? Verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and on the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose the next day, squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said, don't be angry with me. Let, me. let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time the fleece, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And I God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. Gideon puts the Lord to the test twice here with the fleece. Should he have? I say no. He's already even had the sign from the Lord of the fire burning up the thing. 
And he knows the Lord has promised. Even the text shows that. Verse 36, if you'll save Israel by my as you have promised. Well, he's promised it. He should obey. Elijah said, verse 11 was a key verse, but you haven't listened to me. So he asks, is there Jew and, and the fleece and does this? And God is gracious to his request, isn't he? And he does it even a second time. In one sense, Gideon tested the Lord three times, and God was gracious to grant his request. But ultimately, he was doubting God's promise. He didn't trust God's word. So what Gideon did was wrong. He had been given God's word, clearly he had already been given a sign, and now he's asking for another sign, and he's asking for another sign. And yet God is so gracious and patient and so committed to delivering Israel that he grants us man's doubts request. And yet people today still put out fleeces, don't they? And test God. Well, they mightn't literally put out a fleece. They do test God, and I'm sure you've done it. I've done it myself in the past. Oh, you know, if it's still sunny when I come out of church, well, that means I'll go and do this. Oh, if I get a phone call from this person, next person to text me on the phone, well, that's who I'm going to marry. Or if I, if that person speaks to me, God, if this person speaks to me, well, then, yeah, I will, I will forgive them. And I will do this, and I'll make contact with them. Oh, if I get this phone call from, from the pastor, well, then I will commit to the church and connect with And we, we throw out tests to God. Oh, I'll take this job, God, if this certain thing happens. That's wrong. That is not how God promises to guide us. He does not, we should not be saying, well, if this happens, God, then this means I'll do that. God does not promise that. And when Gideon did this, it was showing a lack of trust, not maturity. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. We have all we need in his word for guidance. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't sometimes show up in unusual ways to provide strange circumstances where he's going to guide us. But we should not be putting the Lord to the test. And God doesn't promise to guide us this way. We are to learn from what Gideon didn't do. We're to trust in God's promise. Listen to his word as he has promised. We live in an age when people are preoccupied with signs, visible manifestations, but we're to trust in God's promise. And we have so much more than Gideon. We have the full revelation of God displayed in Jesus, and we're to make decisions based on what he has told us and use wisdom, and we're not expected or should be demanding any specular sign for him to guide us. That's putting the Lord to the test. Even Thomas wanted a sign that Jesus was risen from the dead. And again, God was gracious. He showed himself to him. But Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those who trust his word. We're not to be like Gideon here, but we're to trust God's promises 
and we're not to put the Lord to the test. And just like as we've been seeing, all the judges point to Jesus. Gideon shows how he's a flawed rescuer. Whenever Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan came and tempted him and put him, said, test God, how did Jesus respond? Let me bring you God's word that I trust in. And as he replied, as it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Where Gideon failed, Jesus succeeded. He refused to test God. And we're to be like Jesus and trust in the promises of God. Hold on to his truth, even in the the difficult circumstances, even in the difficult times, based on what he has told us. Or we'll have doubts. But surely we'll see how God has been faithful. And his promises have come true and come true in Jesus. And we hold on to the truth because we know it's worth it. We'll get rid of those idols because God has commanded us to. And God doesn't provide us with a fleece to assure us that salvation's going to come. He has provided plenty of other means. His word the preaching of it, the visible word, the Lord's Supper, to remind us of what Jesus has done. We have all the assurances we need, and we need to trust in his promise and remember his love, which is greater than any valentine. A love that is better than we can imagine, that covers for our failures, that pays for our idolatry, a love that we can rely on and trust and hold on to with full assurance, knowing, as Pat read from the start, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.